0: Well, good morning. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. And it's funny that she would say that, that, that the kids are going to have more fun. Um, because the nature of our content today as we continue our series in Colossians, it, 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 it could very well not be fun for you in this room today. And so I, you've been pre-warned. If you need to go to the Use the Washroom, now's the time. But you know what? God's truth and God's word, it does something significant. The title of my sp- um it's also a movie. Uh, good old Denzel. But this week was a short week for us. It was a very busy week. And on Monday, we had some time off because it was a long weekend. And so I spent an hour and 15 minutes of that time off basically weeping on my couch at home. Because I started this documentary on Netflix called Billy Graham, An Extraordinary Journey. And as I watched it, I don't know what was going on. My goodness, God was just wrecking me. And I'm sitting for an hour and 15 minutes watching. You can ask Lisa. She was sitting in, the, in a chair. I had my headphones on. I'm watching. And she was sitting across the room. And she keeps looking over at me. And I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, just doing the whole ugly cry thing. But here's what was interesting. His brother describes Billy as a young man as interested in only baseball and girls and he wasn't sure in what order. That was just Billy as a young man. And yet Billy Graham has this deep encounter with Jesus and he's called. He's called of God. And and here's where kind of this, this theme kind of plays out. In the 50s, Billy's convictions about the word of God He's he's famous for saying like more times than can be counted, the Bible says. That was like Billy Graham. He like quoted, the Bible says. And and he he said that so many times. But he had such a conviction about what the Bible says, about what scripture led him to. That he was part of, of, of leading a movement against segregation in his crusades. In fact the first event where he was confronted with walking into this stadium and he saw these ropes set up. And at that time in the 50s, there was segregation. There was, there was on the ropes were signs and they'd say whites and they'd say blacks. And there were different sections and they separated. And, and Billy Graham went straight to the head usher and he said, take those down. Take them down. And the head usher refused. The head usher refused to take him down. So Billy Graham himself went down and started taking down all these ropes. And all these signs and all this segregation, all this stuff. And he started tearing it down. And the head usher, he quit on the spot. He actually quit and left on the spot. In fact... In South Africa, they wanted Billy Graham to come. They, they, they invited him a number of times during the time of apartheid. And Billy Graham said, I will come if there's no segregation in the crusade event. And they wouldn't do it, and so he wouldn't go. He stood up. He stood up for what is true and for what is righteous and for what is right and what the scripture had convinced him of. It was interesting, later on, he was invited to Russia. He was invited to the Soviet Union at that time. And of course, the Soviet Union was like enemy number one to the United States. But he took them up on the offer, knowing full well that when he went there, they were going to use his being there as propaganda and, and the whole thing. And he said yes to the invitation, and he went, and you know what? He said yes in the middle of probably, that was probably the greatest criticism and controversy that he had in his ministry, because he had people inside of the church, outside of the church, he had America mad at him and upset with him. But Billy Graham, he said, ethnic, socioeconomic, or even geopolitical standing does not stand in the way of the human being having a deep need to hear the gospel message. He was convinced of that, even at his own peril, even at at, at controversy that it was going to bring. So why do I share that today? Because like Billy, all those days, all those years ago, we're going to discover today in Paul's writings that there is absolutely no room for prejudice or elitism In the Christian faith, no room, zero, zero margin, zero room. If you want to be elevated over your fellow man, Christianity is not the faith for you. If you're here exploring faith in Jesus and you're hoping this is going to give you a leg up on your neighbor, Christianity is not for you. So if you're new with us, we don't put scripture up on the screens. And there's a reason for that. Uh, We believe churches have made lazy Christians to some degree. Uh, Maybe we're old school, uh, but we believe there's something powerful about having your Bible, whether that's digital or whether that's a hard copy. We we think there's something great about writing in the margins and highlighting and underlining because at the end of the day, when, you know, stuff hits the fan on Thursday, you're not going to call me up and go, hey, what was that slide you put up? I need to see that. No, you'll have it in your Bible. You'll have it in your notes. We take notes in this church. There's something powerful about processing through notes. So if you don't have a Bible, we would invite you to just visit Bible. You can do it now on your phone. You can download a great digital Bible, and we have some links there to help you with that. And if you'd, like a, if you'd like a hard copy Bible of your own, we would love to get that to you. You just go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible and just fill out the form. There's a little form there. Just fill it out. You can throw your address. We can either send it to you or give it to you after the service or next week. Whatever is convenient for you. We'd love to get your Bible in your hands. Uh, our gift to you. So we typically dig into one thing. We call it our main thing statement. And so every Sunday we dig into one kind of piece. So today we're going to be digging into two main-ish things. We're going, to, we're going to change the terminology. We're going to actually dig into two things. Um, and next week we're going to dig into a third. We're going to be camping out in, in this kind of section of Scripture for a little bit. And so this week we're going to be kind of digging into 2 mainish thing statements. And then next week we're going to dig in kind of the main kind of act, if you will. So take notes, mark up your Bibles, be active participants in the preaching of God's word. Because you're not here to hear from me, you're here to hear from the spirit of truth. And he's the only one that can do something deep in you. So Lord, we pray that you would come and that Lord God, you would lead us and guide us in truth. Lord, from the seeker, from those exploring faith, right to the Christian who's been mature for 50 plus years. Lord, would you impact us today? Would you convince us of something today? Would you convict us of stuff today? Encourage us and take us on a deeper journey of intimacy and faith with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be going verses 22 to 4, chapter 4, verse 1. And so that's kind of gonna where we're gonna camp out today. And so I'm gonna be reading from the English Standard Version, Colossians chapter three, verses twenty-two, and then we're gonna end at four, chapter four, verse one. So here we go, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. What's really interesting about this this scripture and the translations that we have in the English is many of our translations, you can see they use the word bond servant. Uh, the, part of the reason they use bond servant is because a bond servant was a servant, was a slave that had attained freedom and then of their own free will, of their own fruition, chose to still serve their master. Okay, that, that, that's what a bond servant is. And sometimes in the Christian faith, we like to sugarcoat some stuff, so it's a little easier to swallow. But a better translation of the word here is not bondservant, it's slave. It's slave. It's a person who is owned and has no rights and is property. We're not going to sugarcoat it this morning, that's exactly What the the word here means. Paul is addressing slaves. And and I would argue he's addressing more than just slaves. And we're going to unpack this a little bit because this is important. He's he's addressing slavery as an institution. And we're going to unpack what I mean by that in a moment. If you're taking notes, write this down. Christianity addresses the deep brokenness of the human condition which then moves the world. Christianity addresses the deep brokenness of the human condition which then moves the world. I, he- I keep hearing it come up again and again. I do a lot of podcast listening. I, I-, I-, I want to know what's out there. And so I, l- I listen to a lot of people who are um, coming from a secular perspective, an atheistic perspective, and just where their frame of mind is. Those that believe there is no God, there's only us, and we're moving forward. And here is one of the number one arguments that I hear. It comes up over and over and over again. One of the, the, the chief proponents of this argument is neuroscientist Dr. Sam Harris. I hear him, he uses this argument all of the time. And he would say, and, 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 and the atheist movements would say this. They would say, the Bible doesn't outright object to slavery. And so the Bible is false in its claims because it claims to be written by a holy and righteous God. Right? If the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and it doesn't outright come against slavery as an institution, then it's false. It can't be credible. It can't be right. It can't be something you give your life to. So I want to speak to kind of the young men and the young women in the room to some degree. Some of you guys are going to go off to university, you're going to go off to college. It's no secret that, that universities and colleges of, of our day um, have a slant, have a way of thinking. And, and the church traditionally, we kind of suck at setting you up for success when you head out and you start to hear these arguments from, from great people, from, from smart people, um, and so we want to kind of dig into a little bit of this objection that some of the atheists that are out there that are, that are pushing this have with the Christian faith and Scripture in particular. Paul doesn't address slavery outright, but rather he goes deeper. Slavery is a symptom of a deeper human condition that needed to be addressed. Remember, Christianity dress addresses the deep brokenness of the human condition and then moves the world. It's like the blackberries in my yard. You're going to laugh because this is the second time in a couple months I've brought up those stupid blackberries. And I know, I, I keep saying, I know, I know in a town where we celebrate an invasive species once a year, I'm not popular for this. But those blackberries, (laughs) they are hard to get out. They are hard to get out. The only way, the only way to really truly get rid of blackberries is you got to dig down deep right to the very tips of the roots and rip them right out of the ground. you got to dig down to the roots and rip them out of the ground. Don't come to my house for picking blackberries. Don't bring your bucket to my house. I'm trying to get rid of them. But here, Paul, he's subtly addressing slavery, but he's aggressively digging the roots of the human condition. Those places of brokenness within humanity that create the environments where things like slavery and prejudice and bigotry can exist. He's going deeper than just the symptom. He's digging deep to the human condition in order to move the world. N.T. Wright, he says it this way. Paul does not protest against the institution of slavery. His approach is subtler. He has found a fixed point on which to stand, from which to move the world. Slaves, too, are human beings with rights. To talk of justice and fairness properly, the word means equality, in relationship to slaves, would sound extraordinary to most slave owners of the ancient world. Masters, however, are themselves slaves of the one master. See, we look at this scripture and we don't fully understand it because we come in a place where we've seen this movement bring us somewhere. This movement of Jesus, this teachings of the apostles that shifted the world view, that changed the world, that moved the world. And so we don't understand, but in that first century, these slaves... Would have had no rights. They were property. And then Paul comes along and he starts saying these things. Profound and radical statements. That were beginning to change the way the Christian. The way the believer in Jesus. The way the early church began to see those around them. Intrinsic value of every human being. Equality. It's interesting, so much of the world today that, thats shaped kind of where we're at in the West today and kind of the ideals we have about society and people and equality. And we keep looking back, and I hear over and over and over again, it's, it's, it's as a result of this moment in history we call the Great Enlightenment. Um, I would argue, I would argue With those that would say and trace it back to that, I would trace the great enlightenment back to the first century Jesus and the teachings of the apostles, which began to address the deep foundational wounds and brokenness of humanity, which then began to shape the paradigm, began to move the world. And it's important that we understand this because so many are going to say that Christianity is this antiquated, old um, hang-up that we have as a society and it's causing us to go backwards. No, Christianity gave us this society. And we're at a crossroads in our culture where we're now going backwards as we press into secularism and remove Jesus and these teachings and these foundations. Christianity addresses the deep brokenness of the human condition, which then moves the world. The things in this world that anger us, that break our hearts and stir us in in a holy discontentment are not the results of systems, governments, or even ideologies. All those things still remain symptoms of the deeper truth that humanity is broken. And when we begin to address that the brokenness can be made whole through the power of Jesus and the truths of Scripture... The word, trusting that the words that he say is a better way. Is a better way. That's when we begin to understand that we can begin to shape not just our individual lives, not just family, but that individual and family culminates to communities of faith, which then culminates into engaging community as a whole and changing the world and moving the world. This is what we're a part of. This is this movement that we're a part of. Christianity addresses the deep brokenness of the human condition, which then moves the world. So when I hear this objection to the Bible that says the Bible doesn't address slavery as an institution, rest assured, the work of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles dig deeper than mere systems, institutions, and ideologies. They dig deep into the human hearts. They dig deep into the human heart. And they change you. And they change me. They change our families. And we become a part of a grassroots movement that culminates in a gathered church. This idea of a global church. This idea of a national church. We're all one church. We just happen to be meeting in different places. And it culminates into this movement that moves the world. I've said it before. Um, I don't. I don't want you guys to feel too insecure about this statement. Um, so I just want to preface it with that. Um, we love it here. So just, just. But we do miss living in Surrey to some degree, and there's a few reasons for that. The first reason is raising our kids in the diversity of Surrey was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, we came from a church where we had, at that time, 58 different nationalities represented in the congregation. It was, it was wild. And it was fantastic watching the many expressions of worship and and, and and the interaction with the preaching of God's Word was vocal and energetic. And, and the preaching of God's Word was... Was vocal and energetic. No pressure, guys, no pressure. But it was also multi generational, which we have here, and we're so blessed to be able to release kids and to have family and to to do what we do together as as young and as old. Worshiping together, it's beautiful. And it was socioeconomically diverse. It was interesting. We had people that would drive up to church in BMWs where their lease payments were more than most of our mortgage payments. I'm not even lying to you about that. To people who didn't even have a car who would jump on public transportation and they'd get to church on the bus and walk. We had everyone represented. In that church, and it was a beautiful picture of the kingdom. It was a beautiful picture of the truth of Paul's teaching here. And this is where we're gonna step into our second mainish statement Jesus is the great equalizer. Jesus is the great equalizer. And, and here's what you need to know about the first century. You had four classes of people in the Roman Empire. The first class is what they called freeborn citizens. These were those that were second, third, fourth generation of parents that were free citizens. Freeborn citizens. They were the creme de la creme. They had all the rights. They had more rights than even citizens did. First generation. We're going to talk about that. But they were called free-born citizens. The second tier were free citizens. And these were those that found a way to claw their way into citizenship. Typically, they would have been bond servants or they would have been slaves. or They would have been people that came from outside of the Roman Empire and came in. And they found a way to be free citizens. Then there were the bondservants, and we already talked about the bondservants. Those that were slaves are granted freedom, or they purchased their own freedom through hard work, and then they chose to stay in the family. Many of the slaves and the servants were, were so a part of family in the first century. And so they chose to stay and serve their masters of their own free will. And then we have the fourth, and they were the slaves. Those whose autonomy was non-existent. They existed to serve their masters. They had no rights and they had no recourse. So let's let's jump back into our scripture here. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. I want you to think about what's going through each class as as, as this is being read aloud in their church in in Colossae. This is being read aloud. And everybody is, is, is sitting there hearing these words from Paul, who's writing this from the prison in Rome. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Consider the profound statements that are made by Paul to both both slaves and masters alike here. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance... As your reward So why is this so profound? Because slaves of the first century were property, and they did not qualify for any type kind of inheritance. And yet here's Paul's letter being read aloud in the church for the very first time: Masters and slaves, bond servants and free citizens listening to this being declared. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. There's something significant going on here in the first century. He's saying all human beings have intrinsic value and worth. He's speaking words of equality in worth and intrinsic value. And the second equalizing statement we found in this verse is the next verse. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so in that first century church, both slaves and masters are thinking through the way that they're living their lives, the way that they're treating their masters, and masters are thinking about the way that they're treating their slaves, and understanding for maybe the first time that all of them are serving one master. Who is going to judge both and with no partiality as equals? This is significant. This is a significant moment for the church. There's something deep in the human condition that seeks to put ourselves above another, that seeks to compare and contrast our lives with our neighbor. It's it's a weak and fickle way of finding some standard in which we can feel good about ourselves. That we can feel good that we're on the right track because we're not as bad as. Or we can feel bad about ourselves because we're not as good as. There's something broken in the human condition that causes us to compare and contrast our lives with others. And then throw in social media and Facebook and everybody putting their best foot forward publicly on these platforms, and now we're in this crisis. Or perhaps we've built or inherited a prejudice, a place in our lives where we make snap decisions about people based on their socioeconomic standing or their ethnicity, or even, dare I say it, how they voted last election. I was on a ferry a few weeks ago and we were heading down and there's some people on the ferry with us and, and uh, we're just talking about how I love, I love getting out of Palo River when it comes to driving. We've been over this. But it's interesting. When I get on that ferry and I start heading down the Seashell Peninsula, I dehumanize every other vehicle on the road. (laughs) They are not human beings driving cars. They are simply obstacles in my way (laughs) from getting from point A to point B as quickly and efficiently as I can get. Now, What's interesting, that's in a car. It's even worse when I'm on my motorcycle because now, not only are they just obstructions in the way, they are obstructions that are actively trying to kill me. <laughs> now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but there's something about the human condition that causes us to just lump people into groups or tribes, or so we can just make easy snap decisions about who they are without doing the hard work of getting to know the individual. There's something deeply prejudiced about this human condition. And Jesus is trying to do something deep in our lives to change that, to tweak that, to move us as individuals us collectively as a community of faith, us as society, to move the world through the truth of his word. We dehumanize people. It's just easier to look at people as part of our snap judgments of groups. We live in an era of, of, of what they call identity, identity identity politics and tribalism. Because we're so lazy. We're lazy. And it's just easier to just assume the story of an individual based on the tribe or the group that we associate them to. And we can talk about the more apparent kind of issues in our society, things like what we call racism. Our society would call racism. I've always had an issue with that term racism because racism kind of talks and assumes that there's multiple races No, there's one race. There's there's the human race made in the image of God. That's it. There's there's a single race. But there's these prejudices that grow in the heart of human beings. And these things should be self-apparent, especially in the Christian faith. But listen, if you carry prejudice against those of a different ethnicity than you, you are carrying deep sin in your life, period. If you carry deep prejudice against those in different socioeconomic classes than you, whether below and yes, whether above, you're carrying deep sin in your life, period. Because people are people. A human life is a human life and has value and worth. We know this because God so loved the world that he gave his son. The ultimate sacrifice, the one that we celebrated and remembered here today. Attributing worth to the human being, attributing worth to your neighbor, attributing worth even to your enemy. Even to those that are against you and have caused you deep pain and brokenness. Yes, even to them, Jesus' death and resurrection attributed worth. But in a town like Powell River, the snap judgments are much more subtle. I believe this is one of the most systemic forms of prejudice that exists in this town and in the capital C church in in smaller communities all across this nation. You ready? History. History. Here's what I mean. There is a tendency to see our neighbors, those we rub shoulders with today, through the lens of our impressions, interactions, or relationships with them from yesterday or yesteryear. History begins to shape our prejudice against people in this town. Now there's a flip side to that. We know that they know that we aren't perfect either. We project our insecurities into every interaction. That's just human nature. We make assumptions about how people view us. Especially those that have seen us at our worst. Now I'm talking about our interactions as believers to those that perhaps are exploring faith or are far from God because it's a totally different subject when we talk about within community of faith, Bible believing changed by Jesus. There's a higher standard we call one another too, okay? But I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it twice and I'm not going to chat with you about it after the service. We're not going to have conversations about it later. I'm going to say it twice and all I'm asking is that you allow the spirit of truth into that area of your life and ask him, Lord, is this me? Is there a work you need to do in me? If we don't individually and collectively as a community of faith overcome the prejudices we have developed about people based on history in this town, we won't be effective in seeing this town come To Jesus. I say it one more time. If we don't individually and collectively, as a community of faith, overcome the prejudices we have developed about people based on history, we won't be effective in seeing this town come to Jesus. Jesus is the great equalizer. But can I push that idea a little bit further? The deep work of Jesus in a life is to give us grace, strengthen our weakness, to willingly esteem others as more significant than ourselves. In Philippians 2, 3-4, Paul admonishes the Philippian church in his letter to them, and he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We esteem those different than us as more significant than us. Those poorer than us as more significant than us. Those far from Jesus with completely different views As more significant than us. And in deep need. Of Jesus. The kingdom of God is about masters becoming servants. Jesus is the great equalizer. You can ask the worship team to come and. But up until now, we've been talking about some secondary thrusts to to the implications of Paul's writing here. And next week, we're going to dig into the the main thing. We're going to dig into this idea of work as worship. But I felt that it was important that we dig into some of these secondary implications that Paul was doing here. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because he's addressing the deep brokenness of humanity, which then moves the world. He didn't fight institutional slavery, but rather dug at the roots of the human condition. The very environment of the heart that is the ground, ground zero for these things to be birthed in society and in our lives. Christianity addresses the deep brokenness of the human condition and then moves the world. And our calling is to allow the deep work of Jesus to take place in our lives, culminating in the gathering of community of faith changed by Jesus. Which leads us to this truth that Jesus is the great equalizer. Which we discovered actually as the more mature we come in Jesus is an understatement more than anything. Jesus is the great equalizer is an understatement. Because as we mature in Jesus, he does this deep work in us that leads us to this attitude where we begin to look at our neighbor and to those sitting beside us. We begin to look at our spouses and our kids and Joe across the street. And we begin to shift into a place where we begin to esteem them as more significant. Than us, And this is not about self-abasing. This is not about self-abasing yourself. Because we're called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But the deep work of Jesus is the masters taking the position of servants. The act of dying to ourselves so that we can bring life to others through this beautiful message of hope that we've been entrusted with. I opened by sharing a little bit about Billy Graham's controversy, as it were, and his stands on truth, even when it cost him something. But when 9 11 occurred, President George W. Bush wanted nobody else. than Billy Graham to speak at the memorial, to speak to America and to speak to the world. And here's what's interesting about that moment. In America, all civilian aircrafts had been grounded across the entire nation, except for one. One civilian aircraft was in in, in the air, and it was Billy Graham flying to New York to speak at this memorial. A man who walked through controversy, a man who stood for truth, was convinced that if the Bible says so, (laughs) so be it. A man who had convictions that all human beings, no matter their ethnicity, socioeconomic standing, or geopolitical views matter to God. He flew into New York, And he opened with these words. And I'll leave you with this. He said, we come together today to affirm our conviction that God cares for us. Whatever our ethnic, religious, or political background may be, God cares for you. Lord, would you do something deep in us, Lord? Those of us that are, have been maturing in Jesus over the years, Would you do something deep in us? Those of us that are new to faith. Would you convince us that we are people of worth and that you care for us? Would you refine us and shape us to look more and more like Jesus each day? And Lord, I pray for those that are exploring faith in Jesus here with us today. I thank you for them. Holy Spirit, would you convince each of us of the profound brokenness that we carry, that leads us to these areas of prejudice, And bigotry and the mad scramble to put ourselves above others. Would you go deeper than those prejudices? Would you go deeper than our acting out? And would you reveal our deep need for a Jesus? that we would be a part of this movement that moves the world. In Jesus' name, amen.